Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this week in a, uh, in a national week that we have set aside to give thanks. Lord Jesus, we as your people just want to submit to you and tell you how incredibly thankful we are. God, we're thankful for the gift of salvation. We're thankful for the redemption in the name of Jesus. We're thankful to know that our sins have been washed by the Lamb's blood. We're thankful that we know that our eternity and that our hope and that our promise and that our tomorrow all rests on you, the giver and the maker and the sustainer of our faith. Lord Jesus, as we come around tables all over this nation, this week, Lord, I just pray for the hearts of our country, the minds of our country, the people in our country. And God, we just pray that in your name, King Jesus, that we as a country would see that you are the answer for every question that we have. Lord Jesus, thank you for this place. Thank you for this body called the church. And we give you this day. Amen. And amen. You guys can have a seat. I promised myself today I was not going to go hard in the paint during worship because when you do this thing three times on Sunday and then you get up here for a solid 20 minutes and preach, maybe 40, it gets a little, it gets a little crazy. But hey, welcome to church today. I'm so glad you're here. I know it's Thanksgiving week um, and I know there's a lot of you guys joining in online. There's a lot of you that are in incredible locations all over. There's a lot of you that are at grandma's house and we just want to say thanks for being here. Uh, we're in this little mini series um, called The Church and we're looking at this idea of what the church is and we realized last week real quickly uh, that there's a lot of different mindsets when it comes to the church. There's a lot of history behind the church. There's a lot of feelings. There's a lot of wounds. There's a lot of just preconceived ideas of the church. And as a result of that, we all carry in this idea of what it is with us when we come to a place like this. And we also know there's lots of commitments to the church. There's lots of levels of how people are involved. Some of you, man, you're all in, and this is home. For some of you, this just gets your wife off your back just for a few minutes this week, a little bit. For some of you, you're a teenager, and your parents are making you come, to which I say, hallelujah. Why? They ain't going to push you away. If you don't want to come, you're already away. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to go any farther away. But the church is incredibly special to God. And we said last week that the definition of church is not a place that we go to, but it's a called out body of believers that represents King Jesus. And we said that if we can grasp this idea in our minds a little bit stronger, that a church is not an event, a church is not a necessarily a location, but the church is the group of redeemed people that God wants to speak to and through. And as a result of that, the reality is the church is the hope of the world. It's the hope of the world. I got to thinking this week of, about, uh, here, here's what happens in a pastor's mind. You go home on Sunday, and after you just have a feast and you take a little nap, then you start thinking about all the things that you just wish you would have said. It's just kind of how it works. And I got to thinking this week about the church, and, and I was like, man, how can I describe what, is, what the church just really is? is to, to everybody that's listening. And, and, and here's what kind of came to my mind this week. The church, in a lot of ways, is like an embassy. 
Now, before this whole pandemic thing, we used to get to do this thing called travel uh, to other places. I remember these things, you get on planes, you go to other nations uh, before they hated us because we have more cases of COVID than anyone else. Um, and, and so before you did that, if you were in another country, if you were in another place and, and something happened to you as a United States citizen, what you can do in almost every civilized country in the world is, is that if something happens to you, let's just say that you have a hundred of your best friends traveling with you and, and they're all teenagers and something goes down a little bit crazy and someone loses their passport or someone has a death in the family or someone has an emergency to where you need to kind of have a little powwow, you can do something and you can go to the American embassy. You know, you've seen the movies, right? You've seen the movies where Jack Reacher or whoever it might be, maybe running from the law in whatever country and all of a sudden, as long as you can make it to where? The gate of the embassy, right? If you can get through the gate, you are now on the sovereign territory of the United States and you are safe from the KGB, right? That's just kind of how it works in most movies. I want you to think about something just for a minute. And I, and I know that's kind of funny, but, but that's really what the church is. Do you know what an embassy is? An embassy is a recognition or it is a place or it is an organization or it is a spot that represents a kingdom in which it is not in. Now, I want you to think about this with the church. What is the church? The church is a representation of a kingdom in which we are not in. It's a little slice of heaven. It's a little slice of King Jesus's land. And what do you do when you're hurting, when you need promise, when you need protection, when you need community in a land that just feels foreign? You go to the embassy. That's church. Last week, we looked at this idea of church, and, and we really just answered the idea of, of what is church last week, or, or, or kind of why behind church. I want to take that one step forward this week, and I want to answer the question of what is it that a church does? What is it that a church does? Because this is extremely important. Because there's a lot of us, we grew up in church our whole lives, and we didn't know the why behind the what. We didn't understand the language. We didn't understand why is it that these people keep asking me to do this, or be a part of this, or jump into this. I want to answer that question this morning. And the only way that I know how to do that is by going to the Bible. So I go into the Bible. So look, if you've got a copy of Scripture, I want you to fire that app up. All right, go ahead and get there. You've caught up on the text during the intro. Now let's get to the Bible. Fire that app up. Or if you've got a copy of Gutenberg's, just jump in. I want you to go to Acts chapter 2. I want you to go to Acts chapter 2. I want you to put a little marker in there if you're, if you're flipping the pages so you can be quick later on. And then I want you to join me over in Matthew chapter 16. So we're going to be Matthew 16 first. We're going to jump over to Acts chapter 2. And let me just tell you where we're going today. I want to give you the what. I want to give you the what. What is it a church is supposed to do? And we're going to show this through the Bible. Now, Matthew chapter 16. So we're first. Matthew chapter 16 is an incredibly powerful passage of scripture that describes the church. It describes what the church is. Now, there's an important message here because Matthew 16 is the first time that Jesus mentions the church. 
It's the first time that he mentions the church. Now, if you want to sound really smart at your Thanksgiving table this week, if you want to sound really smart this week, you can mention to that table that you are a believer in the hermeneutical principle of the first mention. All right? Now, what that makes you sound like is a really smart person, but let me just explain it to you. Here's what it means. The first time you find something in the Bible, the first time it is mentioned in Scripture is probably most often the clearest, most concise definition of something that you will get. So in other words, when we see blood in Genesis, we see this, the giver of life and the cleanser of sin. We see that all the way through. When we see the first thing mentioned, if it has never been changed from that point, it is the clearest spot you're ever going to see that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Jesus' first mention of the church, and then we're going to see how that fleshes out in Acts chapter 16. Because it's really important. Here it is. Matthew 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he looks at them and he says, Hey, who do all these people that we've been ministering to over here, who, who do they say that I am? And the disciples give an answer. And they say, well, some of them, they, they kind of think you're John the Baptist. And some of them are kind of misled a little bit. And they think you're Elijah. Or some of them, they may think you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And Jesus, I love how he does it. Because Jesus doesn't really hammer down on the disciples very often. But Jesus kind of directs them gently in a different way. And he's like, well, that, that's wrong. Okay, that's wrong. I'm not those people. But then he looks at him and he asks a question. Now, it's important because anytime Jesus, the maker of the universe, asks a question, he's not asking it for him, right? He knows the answer to the question. And what Jesus does is he looks at these disciples and he asks them a question in verse 15. Check it out. Verse 15, Matthew chapter 16. He looks at the disciples and he says this, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Now, I want you to pause there because I need to, I need to see something here. It's unfortunate that the ESV as well as the NIV use the word you. The word you works here. But to clear this up, I want you to draw a line, maybe highlight the scripture, and I want you to write the word y'all out there. Or, or maybe if, if you're from the mountains, you'd write youans. Or if you're from the north, it'd be you all. I don't know how it works for you. But it's important here to see this. Jesus is not looking at one person asking this question. He's looking at all of the disciples. He's looking at all y'all. That's what he's meaning right here in scripture. And I want you just to know that and look at what he says. Simon Peter answered, now, Paul's there. I promise we're not going to do this all day because we will never get home. Here's what he's saying here. Simon Peter is about to answer this question. His name's Simon right now. You're about to see this in a minute. But he answers it on behalf of all the disciples. This is not just Peter's answer is what I want you to hear. How do I know that? Jesus, he's looking at all the disciples. He's like, hey, who do you guys, who do all of y'all say that I am? And Peter steps up to answer the question on behalf of all of the disciples. It's what they felt. It's what they had been taught. It's what they knew. And so this is not one guy stepping out and saying something. It's what they were all already thinking. He just clarifies it out loud. Why? He was the leader, right? And he was kind of the mouthpiece. And you see that all through the New Testament. Look at this. Peter answered, you are the Messiah. In other words, you're the one the Jews have been looking for. You're the deliverer, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood but by my Father in heaven. Now notice what happened here. 
Simon, which is what his name was, his birth name, he answers this question on behalf of the disciples and Jesus goes, hey, that's an incredible answer and I know it's incredible and nobody's told you this. I've been the one that's teaching you this. God gave you this. And then Jesus does something incredibly cool. Jesus gives us a play on words in this next verses right here that, that really and truly have confused people for about 2,000 years. They've really kind of spun off a whole lot of conversation. And I want, you to show, I want to show you what he does because he gives us Jesus right here. He gives us the first sense of the theology of the church as well as he gives us the first sense of the mission of the church. Look at verse 18. It says you this. It says, then I tell you that you are Peter. You are Peter. This is the first time Jesus ever uses that name. He renames Simon. He calls him Peter. Now, names in this time, they meant something. It wasn't where you were conceived, all right? It was like meant something. Like it, was, it wasn't a fruit, all right? It was like it meant something about you. The word here that he used for Peter, he renamed Simon Peter. The word here literally means you are a small rock. You are a Petros is what that means. You're a small rock right here. He says, and you are Petros. And on this rock, notice what it is. Jesus calls Peter a small rock, and then he says, and on this rock, it's not the same word. The second word that is used for rock here literally means in you are part of a formation that is built together, that builds structure on my name that will form the church. That's what it's saying right here. Look at, look at what it says. And on this rock, of him being the disciple, or the Messiah, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. What did Jesus do? Jesus asked Peter, asked the disciples, who am I? And when they answered his question, Jesus looked at him and says, yes, I am the Messiah. I am the deliverer. I am the king and it is on that thought that foundation, that rock, which is the same word that's used in the parable of the sand and building my house on the sand versus the rock. And it is on that foundation, Jesus says, I will build my church. So what is Jesus's church built on? It is built on the foundation that he is Jesus and we are a collection of small stones that are built to lay the foundation on him being the cornerstone, the solid foundation. That's the church. And what's the church role? He shows us. He gives the church the keys. Now, what does a key do? The key opens things, right? So what is Jesus saying? I'm giving you the keys. In other words, I'm opening up the kingdom of heaven to the representative on this earth, to the embassy, the church. And here's what he's saying. It's not only just to the Jews now, it's to everyone. It's to everyone. Now, I want you to feel the weight of this because this is what the church is built on. The church is built on a bunch of us small stones, Petros, built on Petra, the big stone of Jesus, the Messiah. That's the church. So what did Jesus do? He gives them the mission of the church. Open the church, let the church, loose the church, have the church be the representative of God on this planet. And the crazy thing is, is this is really and truly about the last time that we see in scripture that Jesus talked a whole lot about the church. We don't have a whole lot of it. Jesus, he gives them this mission. He says, go start the church. Go be the church. Let the church be my representative. Form the body. And I want you to see in the Bible, Jesus, he goes about from this point on and he lives the rest of his life. 
He dies on the cross. He is resurrected. He lives for 40 days and he ascends back to the Father. And we next see the church in the last chapter of Luke in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1. Now, Acts chapter 1, I love this because Jesus looks at the disciples prior to ascending to heaven. He looks at these disciples and he says this, hey, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to get together in Jerusalem and I want you to wait on the Holy Spirit. I want you to wait in the city. I'm going to be sending you the Holy Spirit. And what happens in the book of Acts? I want you to flip over there. So I want you to see what happens. The promise of the Holy Spirit happens. And when it happens, the Holy Spirit says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. What is Jesus doing? He's giving them the keys. He's giving them their message. He's giving them what they should be doing. And now you have this 120 people. They're meeting in this upper room together. And they're praying together. And the church is born. The church is born. You say, Matt, why, why does it matter where the church is born? It matters because it's a prevailing thought that is sweeping across our culture that says that the church is this antiquated deal that is out of date, that's just kind of out there, that it doesn't matter. No, you are watching the Messiah, King Jesus, say that he is the foundation and the church is what is the keys to the kingdom. What is that telling us? That's telling us that the disciples through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, with their foundation in the temple worship and with their foundation in synagogue worship, with the charge by Jesus, they started the church. The church. And in Acts chapter two, we get to see what it looks like. We get to see this model of, of what I'm just gonna call the prototypical church. That, that, that really means the, the prototype. That really means if you really wanna know what something is. Go back and look at the original church. And I want to show it to us this morning because it's, it's important for us to have an awareness of what is it that the church does. Because here's, here's what I know. If I don't believe in the cause and I don't know why they're doing what they're doing, I'm never going to give my life to something. And I'm never going to jump in and commit to something. So I want you to see this, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, Peter has just preached the Pentecost message. He's just preached this message and 3,000 people gave their life to the Lord. 3,000 people. The Holy Spirit fell. 3,000 people gave their life to the Lord. And I want you to think about something. You now have gone from 120 people kind of cowering in a room, meeting together, to now you got 3,000. So when you go, listen to this. As a pastor, this, this kind of worries me, okay? When you go from 120 people in your church one day to 3,000 the next day, you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems. That's like a 2,500% increase in one day. I mean, that's like bonus and somebody send that man a Longhorn gift card, all right? I mean, something worked in that church right there. But now you've got these 12 apostles. That, I mean, and, and here's the deal. Only 11 of them are original. Matthias has just been brought onto the scene here. They've got these 12 apostles, and they're celebrating over the fact that these 3,000 people gave their life to the Lord. And then you know there was a moment, and they went, oh, no. <laughs> what do we do with these people? How are we going to get these people to where they need to be. Because if you think about it, these people, they were Jews. They just gave their life to Jesus. They had just been baptized. And all but the disciples and, and the 120 that was kind of following them, they didn't have a clue what was going on. So you got 3,000 spiritual babies walking around, and he starts the body of Christ. Before we jump into what this looks like, I want, I want you to get two questions in your mind just to let them rattle around. And we're going to come back to them later. The first one is this. 
Am I faithfully belonging as they did to the called out body of believers? And I just want this rattling around before I show you what this church does. Number two is this church, this Burn Hickory Church, following the biblical model that's given to us. Now, I don't want you to answer number two unless you're willing to answer number one, all right? That's just what I'm going to, I'm just going to say it right here. Don't be all up in the business unless you're part of the family. That's what I'm saying right there. But here's what I want you to do. I just want you to examine these five things, and I just want you to see where are you. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says this. It's the prototype church, the beginning of the church. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and they had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and their belongings and they were distributing the the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. Now I want you to see, if you want to know what the disciples did, if you want to know what the church looked like, if you want to look at the prototypical church, these verses give it to us as clear, in my estimation, as any other place in Scripture. But before we walk through the five things that we're going to see here, I want you to see a word that lays the foundation for every other context in this story. We find it as the third word in verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves devoted themselves. Now this word devoted, it, 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 in our minds, when we see the word devoted, we kind of think of this idea of it was something that I did and I just checked the box and I got rid of it, right? And I did it, I devoted myself to that task and I got done with that task. It's unfortunate that that's the kind of connotation that our English language has brought to this. The NIV and the ESV uses the word devoted right here. But if you're like NASB, if you're like New American Standard, it says they were continually devoting themselves. Or even if you're like old school, KJV, come on. It says this, and they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly. What does that mean? The word devoted here, it carries the connotation of that there is a continual devotion. That means there may be a beginning, but there is never an end. It means there may be a spot to where you realize that I need to devote, but when I do devote, there will be a continual steadfast devotion to the church. Now, that's not what culture is screaming in our land, right? That's not the way we look at it when we look at being devoted to something. Now, some of us would, would make the comment, well, well, I used to be devoted. I used to be an endurance runner. You, you can't, that, that, that doesn't mean you're an endurance runner now, right? I mean, here's the deal. You can be an endurance runner in the past. But if you don't keep on at that endurance running, you are no longer an endurance runner. You might have been an athlete at one time. Some of you dads, you still think you're living that dream right now. You're still taking that shot when no seconds left on the clock uh, in the driveway. But look, you are not an athlete anymore, all right? We have reached that stage of our lives, amen. We're there, we sprain our ankles getting out of bed. I mean, this is how it works in our lives. I want you to think about this, the sports context. You are not devoted 
as an athlete unless it's something you're continually doing. You're continually pressing. The same is true for the church. The same is true in the sense of the things that we're about to see. They're not something that used to be in your life if you're devoted. Let's go to them. Mark's of a truly devoted church. We see the first one in verse 42. It says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? That means that church is a place that the called out, the ecclesia, the called out, number one, are constantly learning the truth. Constantly learning the truth. Now, what it, how, how are we getting this? What does it say? They were, they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles' teaching, what was it? The apostles' teaching was not something you just kind of learned one day and you checked that paragraph off because you memorized the Constitution. That's not what it means right here. The apostles' teaching was the foundational message of Jesus. Why? Because if you think about this, this is hard to do. But at this moment in Acts, the 27 books of the New Testament were not written. The letters to the church, they weren't written. The gospels, they were not written. Paul, he was not even a believer yet. So there's no way we could be studying his things. So the only thing that these people had, these new converts had, was the message that the apostles were bringing them. The apostles were those people that walked with Jesus. They were with Jesus at his resurrection, at his death, at his life-giving resurrection. They were teaching. That's the apostles' teaching. So it leads me to the question of what? What is the apostles' teaching? The apostles' teaching kind of carried this context of a three kind of a, a three areas. The first one would have been that they taught what Jesus had been teaching them. If you think about it, Jesus had just walked with them for 40 days after being in the grave. He rose from the grave, he walked with them. And what did Jesus teach? He taught during that time period, this will be good Thanksgiving reading for you, he taught that he in fact was the Messiah, that he in fact was the king that has given life. He tied, listen to this, in the last 40 days of these disciples, he tied the Old Testament with the New Testament and said every promise that was made, every covenant that was made, every prophecy that was made, they were made about me. He looked at these Jews, he's like, you've been waiting on me, you've been wanting me to be here, and now I'm here. That's what he just taught the disciples. And that's what the disciples would have been teaching in this moment to the new believers. They were taking them back to the Old Testament. They were taking them back to the days they were walking. They would have also been teaching, not just the last 40 days, but these apostles would have been teaching them what it was that Jesus said to them while they were walking on this earth. Think about it. Who knows Jesus the best than the guys that walked with him for the last days or the last three years of their life? They were teaching the sayings of Jesus. They were teaching the meanings of the sayings of Jesus. They were teaching the miracles of Jesus and what Jesus did. Matt, how do you know that's what they were teaching? Well, it's because that's what we have, right? It's what they eventually wrote down as their teaching, which is the gospels. You're seeing how this is fitting together, right? That's the gospels now. It was the apostles' teaching. It's what they taught people. And what do the gospels do? They point to the Old Testament. They point to the New Testament. And they point to a day that is coming, that we will walk with the king. But they also, I love this one, they also would have been teaching what the Holy Spirit was bringing to their minds. Why? Because they'd never had the Holy Spirit like this before. And Jesus said, it's better for you to have the Holy Spirit than to have me. They would have been teaching what the Holy Spirit was giving them. How do you know that, man? Well, I'm glad you asked. John 14, 26, it says this, but the advocate, this is Jesus at the Passover before he dies, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, listen to what he says to the disciples, whom the Father will send in my name, he just sent him, right? 
will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Isn't that incredible? Then now you've got this apostle's teaching, which was what was being brought back to these disciples' minds by the Holy Spirit. I say all of this, here's the point. These new believers, they were hungry for the word of God and listen to me really, 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 really clearly. The church's primary role is to disciple its people in the word. That is primary, that is number one. It is the word that gives life, it is the word that gives form, it is the word that gives foundation, everything else is secondary. You see it in verse 43. What happens when you start getting a hold of it? Verse 43 says this, and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. What does that mean? It means as the, the disciples, as the apostles did more miracles, had more stories, did more teaching, you are now finding this devotion and this all come over these 3,000 new converts. It means this. If a church is not constantly teaching the word of God and discipling its people in the word of God, it is not fulfilling its primary role. It's why we spend so much time digging into this book. But look, it didn't end there. It didn't end there. Number two, they didn't just learn the word together. Number two, they purposefully were linking their lives together. They were purposefully linking their lives together. Now, what does this mean? That means church is not an event. Church is not something we show up at, hoping to remain anonymous. It means that God doesn't want us to sit and soak alone. They were together. Look at verse 42, our prime text. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's the discipling, and to the fellowship and to the fellowship. And let me be super clear, this fellowship led to them ministering to themselves and the community. Now, this word fellowship is quite frankly a super churchy word. It's a super churchy word. If you grew up like me in church, when you hear the word fellowship, all you're thinking is those little butter cookies you can put on your finger and a barrel drink. I mean, that's all you got, all right? A linoleum floor, some metal chairs, plastic table, and Meemaw's home cooking. That's all you're thinking about church fellowship. But there's so much more to that. Now, it might have some coffee and donuts along the way, but there's a whole lot more. This word fellowship, if you look back at it, the original meaning of fellowship or the original language, if you've been in church, you, you may have heard this, is the word kononia. It's the word kononia. It's where we get the word kone Greek. It's common Greek. It's where actually we get our word coin or common currency. The word kononia means that there was a fellowship among them, that everything was common to them, and that they were linking themselves together, that they had common community or communion with each other. And as a result of that, they linked themselves together in such a way that they took care of each other for the glory of God and for the good of mankind. We see it in verse 44, right? Look at it. It says this, and all who believed were there together. And they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their possessions to all as they had need. Now don't think of this as a communist society. Nobody's making them do this, all right? Don't go down that train. Here it is, verse 46. Day by day, 
attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with generous hearts. A couple things jumped out at me. Here's what happens when fellowship happens. There was a sense of journeying together. There was a sense of being knitted together. There was a sense of spurring each other on. There was a close sacrifice with each other. It's one thing for me to get up here and to say, hey, we really need you to give to this cause. It's another thing when somebody in your tribe has a need. Somebody that you are linked to has a need. That's why they were like, hey, the rest of this stuff, we don't care about it. Our people are hurting. Our people are hurting. Our people are hurting. So they started selling stuff off. Not everybody. Everybody didn't sell their house. They couldn't have church in house if they did that. But I mean, some people did because there was need. And it flowed not only to the church, it flowed outside the church that they were providing for because they were so closely knitted. But I want you to also notice that this fellowship moved from just the fellowship hall, right, to their homes. There was a level of biblical hospitality that I'm just gonna tell you is gonna be what reaches this nation. When the believers begin to invite other people into their home and talk about what they believe, that's gonna be next. And we're seeing it right here. There was a level of fellowship that was not a burden. They weren't like, oh no, another Christmas party at the church. No, they weren't. Why? Because it was a joy to them. It was a joy. It's who they were knitted together with, doing life together, spurring each other on. This is an incredible heartbeat of this church that we're looking at. And, and, and let me just tell you this. It's going to be an incredible heartbeat of this church that we're at right here. Because fellowship is more than just drinking some coffee at a, at a coffee station. Fellowship is linking our lives together. And, and here's what I know. Some of you, you have this. Some of you have this level of fellowship in this faith family, to which I can say incredible, but some of you, you don't. And look, I'm not gonna rebuke you for it, it's your choice. I'm just gonna say this, you're missing it. You're missing it. For those of you that do have fellowship, man, invite other people into it. For those of you that don't have fellowship, jump in. What does that look like? That means jumping into a life group. It means jumping into a ladies group. It means jumping into a men's group. It means putting your kids with a tribe of people that want to follow Jesus. Because I can guarantee you there's other tribes out there that want them. That want them right now. That's what I'm talking about. This church fellowship and linked their lives together. But here's number three. It doesn't stop there. It keeps going. They were regularly loving God through public worship. They were regularly loving God through public worship. We see this a few chapters over. There's like a thousand people at Solomon's Collingade. They were out there worshiping together and praying together. But check it out, Acts 2, verse 42. This is, our, this is our text, right? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's discipleship, and to fellowship, that's that fellowship and ministry, and to what? The breaking of bread. And the breaking of bread. What is this church doing? They're continually devoting themselves to the breaking of bread. To which at this time of the day, I'm like, hallelujah, I'm hungry, right? I'm hungry. But it means more than that. It means more than that. Now, scholars kind of get a little bit dicey on this. I want to kind of give you both sides of the coin because I think they come together. One, some scholars believe the breaking of bread here would have been the public celebrating of the Lord's Supper together, that they broke the body and they took the elements of the Lord's Supper as part of their worship, as part of saying, God, you are king and we're celebrating your coming. So a lot of scholars kind of lean that way, but other scholars represent this idea that, that they would have broke bread at the agape festival 
at the Agape Festival. It was a festival, a feast, a big meal that happened after the Lord's Supper that they were celebrating the goodness of God, the provision of God, and they would have sang songs over each other. It's the same, this is the same feast that in 1 Corinthians, Paul re rebukes the Corinthians over getting drunk at it and getting mad at the church there. It's the same one. But some scholars will also say that it was something that they did in the homes, that they broke bread together and they sang together and they experienced God together. Regardless, let me tell you where I land, right in the middle. I think it all works. I think it goes all together. Why? Because they're worshiping publicly with each other as the church at every one of these events and telling God who he is. That's worship. And we're seeing it all over this. In fact, we see it in verse 47, even stronger, right? Or verse 46. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What were they doing? Praising God. Praising God. If you would have got to sit through part of their worship, it would have looked a lot like ours. They would have prayed together these 18 different prayers, by the way. They would have read together over 10 psalms together. That's a long day at church. And then after that, somebody like me and you would have stood up. And if I'd had anything to say in any of those passages, I could have brought it to the table and expound upon it. They did all that with the Lord's Supper and they broke bread representing who Jesus is. And here's the deal. We're going to do it in eternity for the rest of our lives. So let's do it now. This church we're looking at was a house of praise. And so will ours be. So will listen. Look, it didn't stop there. Here's number four. These are quick. Number four, the first church were faithfully lifting up prayers to God. They were just faithful. They were faithful at lifting up prayers to God. Why? Because they knew that it was not by their strength not by their might that God was gonna move. They knew that if God was going to deliver them and deliver the Roman Empire as a whole, that it was gonna be through prayer. Prayer is not a pregame ritual for your Thanksgiving meal this week. It's more than that. It's just more. And that's what it's saying, right? Look at, look at our text in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. And look at this one. And the prayers. And the prayers. Now it's interesting, when you go back to Acts chapter one, prior to Matthias being chosen as the new disciple to replace Judas, prior to them going to reach their community, prior to them meeting together like we're seeing right here, what is the first thing that the church did after it came back from watching Jesus ascend to heaven? The first thing they did, Acts chapter one, verse 14 says this, they all joined together constantly in prayer, constantly. Why? Because if, if a church is gonna make a difference, if a church is gonna see God move, it's gonna have to be a house of prayer. It's gonna have to be a house of prayer. Pray for what? Praying for peace, praying for hope, praying for salvation, praying for our nation, praying for revival to break up, praying for preachers and teachers to be true to the word of God, praying for our groups to honor God, praying for needs to be met, praying for the poor, praying for those that need justice. We have to be a praying church if we're gonna see God move. It was the foundation of everything they did. It wasn't necessarily just the side off ministry that only the super prayers that we're part of. No, it was a praying church. Let me ask you this, are you praying? Is it part of your morning routine? Is it part of your evening routine? Is it part of when you just pause during the day to pray without ceasing that God would move in our lives? Or is it just an emergency call to God when something's going bad? They were a praying 
church, and so should we be. We should be praying. Listen, we got an incredible prayer ministry here that would love to have you and love to walk with you in what it looks like to be a serious prayer. But if that's not you, pray. That's all I care. Just pray. Let's watch God move because here's number five. Number five, the prototypical church, really this is just a culmination of the rest of them going right. Number five is they were effectively leading others to Jesus. Now look, I, I realized last night about 11 o'clock, I was just getting in bed. It's kind of a long morning. And I was like, gosh, I, I made a mistake on number five. I shouldn't have put, I shouldn't have, I, I, it should read this. Effectively leading many to Jesus. Because here's what I know. Look at verse 47, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those that will be saved. What does this mean? It means the original church cared about the souls of those people that were around them cared about the souls of the world, cared enough to do something about it. Let's look at the process, right? What did they do together? They, they learned the word of God together. They were disciples. That's a vertical activity, right? Me and God, we were with each other. What did they do? They linked with each other. That's the support around us, right? That's where all the little rocks form into the foundation under the what? The discipling of the Messiah. That's the, that's the vertical, it's the horizontal. What else did they do? They praised God together. They got together, to, they sang together. They broke bread together. They represented the king together. What else did they do? They prayed together. God, I need you to move. I need you to move. I need you to move. I need you to deliver me. I need you to do something in my life. And as a result of all that, God gave them a heart there was not a heart of stone, it was a heart of evangelism to go reach the people around them. Can, can I tell you the people that don't share about Jesus are the people that Jesus isn't doing anything in their lives? I'm just gonna be honest with that. Look, I, I know that we read these things right here, but, but here's what I say. That's a church I wanna be a part of. And, and I can hear you, well, Matt, if I could find a church like that, I'd join it right now. Uh, me too. I mean, I'm telling you, me too. Let's go do it. Let's go do this together. Because I'm going to tell you this, be really clear. This is where this church goes. It may look a little different. It may feel a little different. You may have to kind of see how some of this happens. But if it doesn't filter through one of these things right here, it ain't happening. Remember those two questions I asked you today? Here's the first one, right? Am I belonging? like these guys belonged. Let me tell you something, if we want a church that looks like this, we gotta have people that look like this. This is part of your lives. Number two, what I ask you, I ask you, hey, does this church look like this? Which I can say this, you know what? Most of the time, yes, we do. So as we get ready to jump into our invitation song, here's my question. Will you plant and flourish and belong in a church that this is our heartbeat? Look, I know last week there's a lot of you, a lot of you responded. A lot of you responded. Man, a lot of you, some of you gave your life to Christ last week. Man, welcome to the kingdom. Some of you made the jump last week and, and you decided to plant your family in this place and quit dating us, right? You determined the relationship, a little DTR. And you're in, this is family now. Some of you last week took the, last, the next step and you began to serve here. You began to link yourself into a life group here. Here's what I'm gonna say. 
Some of you didn't. And you allowed the week to go by and you thought you were done wrong. Can I tell you my prayer today? Is that the Holy Spirit falls on us like he did at Pentecost and that we as his church live this out. Every week we talk about this next step text and it's the invitation of the pandemic, right? Here's what I'm gonna tell you this week. I know it's Thanksgiving week, but hey, if you'll text that number, if you wanna join this church, if you wanna give your life to Christ, if something in your soul is just like, man, I, I just need to talk to somebody, text it. In fact, I, I wanna do something right now. I want everybody here, just take out your phone. <laughs> the 12 of you that don't have them out already. Just take out your phone, right? Take out your phone. You're like, man, are you telling me to take out your phone? Yeah, I am. Here's why. Because I know that there's some of you in here that are so concerned with somebody seeing you pulling out your phone right now, that Satan will use that to not have you take this next step. This is what I want you to do. If that's you today, as we're singing this next song, they don't know if you're checking the scores, they don't know what you're doing. Man, would you just text us this week and let us know how we can come beside you and how you can plant yourself, whether it's in Christ or in this church. Lord Jesus, walk with us in these next moments. And God, I just pray that you would show us corporately how to be a church that looks like the prototypical model that you started, Jesus. Secondly, show us how we can belong to a place like this. Lord, let people meet you today. Let people join up and link arms with us today. Let people step into fellowship today. Let people see how they can minister today and serve today. And God, show us how we can reach the nations. And it's in your holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. And hey, I'm serious. Text it. Somebody's reaching back out in the next 24-ish hours.